Due to the graphic nature of this murder case, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes dramatizations and discussions of murder and assault that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Operator. Yes? Hello? Operator? Listen, get me the police. I'm down here by the river and there's something down here. No! Don't touch it! Sorry? Slow down. I'm having trouble hearing you. I was fishing, and the kids were off exploring, and then they come running back yelling. So I go and see it's just theirs, sticking out of the ground. What's there, sir? Is this an emergency? Of course it's an emergency! There's a hand! A girl's hand! Poking out of the ground like she's reaching for something. Her whole body is buried right there in the sand by the river. Get the police! Get everybody! I'll connect you. This is Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories, a ParCast original. I'm your host, Carter Roy. And I'm your host, Wendy McKenzie. Every Tuesday, we dive into the world of a real unsolved murder and try to solve the case. You can find episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Unsolved Murders for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Unsolved Murders in the search bar. This is our first episode on the 1962 murder of beauty queen Alexandra Wicherik. This week, we'll cover Alexandra's early years and young adulthood in rural Saskatchewan, Canada. Next week, we'll investigate her brutal death and the decades-long search for her killer. We have all that coming up and more. Stay with us. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money. Up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. On the eastern edge of Saskatchewan, Canada, sits a tiny village called Endeavor. The village isn't much more than a post office, surrounded by forests and farmlands. Its main street is a gravel road. The nearest city, Yorkton, is only an hour and a half's drive south, but Endeavor feels about as far from anything as you can get. It felt even farther in 1912, when an 18-year-old Alexander Wacherek arrived with his father, Stefan, from their home in Ukraine. They were one of many Ukrainian families moving to Western Canada in the early 20th century. Yorkton quickly became a major hub for the immigrants. Those who could afford it moved with their whole families. Sometimes three generations uprooted themselves and moved across the world at once. 
But relatively few immigrants were wealthy. Most came to Canada with only a few hundred dollars in their pockets, looking for opportunities they couldn't find in Ukraine. Not all found them, at least not right away. Alexander and Stefan Wicherik tried to establish new lives as farmers, but struggled. The life of a pioneer was difficult and unforgiving. Discrimination against the Ukrainians was rampant, and the winters in Saskatchewan were harsher than anything the father and son had gone through in Ukraine. Alexander Wicherik soon met and fell in love with a Ukrainian girl named Aneta, or Anna, as she was usually called. Anna likely reminded Alexander of home. She was nine years younger than him and had been born in Canada, but she held tight to her roots. Like Alexander, Anna lived in a close-knit community and was part of the Ukrainian Orthodox Church. She may have been a first-generation Canadian, but she never learned enough English to be fluent, preferring to speak only Ukrainian. 25-year-old Alexander and 16-year-old Anna were married in 1919. Together they planned to grow their family while tending a small corner of Canadian farmland. But as Alexander had already learned from his time with his father, the farming life was far from easy. First, there was the 1929 drought that turned millions of acres of Canada's breadbasket into a dust bowl. And then it got worse. Throughout the 1930s, Saskatchewan was repeatedly overrun by giant swarms of grasshoppers so thick they blotted out the sun. In cities, the clouds of buzzing grasshoppers sent people running inside. The insects smashed themselves against homes, broke windows, and sometimes caused car accidents. But to rural areas like the Wicherik's farm, the grasshopper invasion was devastating. The grasshoppers devoured the Wicherik's crops until finally, with seven young children, Alexander and Anna were forced to abandon their home. They moved to a new farm closer to the village of Endeavor and started over. When the Wicherik socialized, it was with an insular group of fellow Ukrainians and relatives. Alexander later helped establish the area's school district. He even built the school, but the family was still largely isolated from the world at large. They lived in a bubble inside of a bubble. And it was inside that bubble that Alexander and Anna raised their tenth and final child, Alexandra Wicherik. Alexandra Wicherik was born on April 20, 1939. She was the last of ten children, but the first of her siblings to be born in a real hospital. Her six brothers and three sisters were all born at home. Even the decision to give birth in a hospital must have felt momentous to Alexandra and Anna. The closest hospital was nearly an hour away from Endeavor. After the birth, Anna was reportedly haunted by a frightening dream about her new daughter. Mm-hmm. No. Anna, it's all right. Wake up. What? Where am I? You're in the hospital. You're safe. But the baby. Where's Alexandra? What happened to her? What? I saw her. She was hovering above me like an angel, like a spirit, like she died in... Whoa, whoa. Calm down now. It must have been a dream. Alexandra's out with the nurse. She's just fine. You both are. Alexandra Wicherik was born only months before Canada officially entered World War II. But Alexandra's childhood was far removed from all that violence and death. 
Saskatchewan was a relatively safe place in the 1940s and into the 1950s, and Endeavour was even safer. Alexandra grew up amidst the solitude of the family farm, and when she was old enough, went to the same school her father had helped build years earlier. By the time Alexandra was old enough for high school in the 50s, she was ready to leave her rural community and head to the city. Since Endeavor wasn't populated enough to have its own high school, teenage Alexandra moved 200 miles to Saskatoon, the largest city in Saskatchewan. There, she enrolled at Saskatoon Tech, right on the banks of the South Saskatchewan River. But even life in a big city was sheltered for Alexandra. She moved in with her older sister, Marie, who was married with children. Because Marie was nearly two decades older, she treated the teen more like a daughter than a sister. She made sure Alexandra maintained her sheltered life and watched out for the girl carefully. What do you mean I can't go? Careful with the plates, and you know the rules. You're just like Mom. I wish I was. But I told everyone that I'd meet them outside Capitol Theater. Yeah, well, I told our parents that I'd watch after my little sister, so that's what I'm doing. You're staying in tonight. And if you're going to keep throwing my dishes in the sink like that, the least you can do is wash them. Ugh. While Alexandra's peers were driving around with boys and going to parties, Alexandra mostly split her time between school, homework, and helping Marie with the kids. But Alexandra still had time to enjoy herself in high school. During lunchtime on Fridays, the school gym turned into a dance hall, where the teenagers tried out dances like the bop or the jitterbug. Alexandra also joined Saskatoon Tech's drama club and quickly became a star. She was named Best Actress multiple years in a row. But Alexandra didn't seem interested in pursuing an acting career. The only job she ever talked about was being a flight attendant. In the 1950s, being a stew, short for stewardess, was considered a glamorous and sophisticated career choice for women. It meant financial independence and travel, two things that were generally off-limits to unmarried women, but the job had very specific requirements. A 1953 airline job posting looked for an, quote, attractive appearance and personality, and required applicants to be between 5 foot 2 inches and 5 foot 7 inches tall and weigh under 135 pounds. Alexandra Wicherik may have fit most of the strict physical requirements that the airlines required back then, but she was only 5 foot 1. That 1 inch difference wasn't enough to deter her, though. After graduating high school in 1958, 19-year-old Alexandra surprised her sister with a plan to move to Yorkton, where she would enroll at nursing school and earn her degree, another requirement for flight attendants at the time. I can't believe you're leaving already. Nursing school starts in a few weeks. I want some time to settle in before it gets going. <laughs> Couldn't you have gotten yourself held back or something? I could use your help around the house a little longer. <laughs> Sorry, Marie. I've got a future waiting for me. And nursing school. Are you sure? All that time and all that work. You could just stick around here and do what I did. Nothing wrong with finding a husband, falling in love, and starting a family. You're getting to be that age. I think I've got plenty of time. 19-year-old Alexandra Wicherik left Saskatoon that summer. She headed east to the Yorkton Union Hospital School of Nursing, 
where she could finally escape the sheltered life of her childhood. But she wasn't prepared for what she'd find. When we return, we'll find out how the move sent Alexandra on a path towards beauty, pageant, fame, and Johnny Cash. Now, back to the story. In the fall of 1958, 19-year-old Alexandra Wicherik moved into the nursing school dormitories in Yorkton, Saskatchewan, Canada. Her older sisters had gotten married and had children at her age, but Alexandra had bigger plans. Alexandra's nursing school didn't offer the kind of freedom that most college students have today. In fact, the program was just as strict, if not more so, than life with her sister Marie. The school required Alexandra to wear a uniform and nurse's cap during her classes and at the hospital, and the dorms kept strict curfews. Alexandra and the other young women in her program had to be in their rooms by 10 o'clock each weeknight. On weekends, they were allowed more freedom, but only a little. They still had to be in bed by 11 p.m. Luckily, Alexandra had another older sister, Pearl, who lived in Yorkton with her husband. Hop in. It'll be fine. Oh, Alex, it's already after eight. We'll never make it back before curfew. We don't have to. Come on. What do you mean? I signed us out already. We're going to be staying at my sister's tonight. Alexandra! What did you tell her? Well, nothing yet. We'll just have to say we got caught up and missed curfew by mistake. How silly of us to lose track of time. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Alexandra spent the next year settling into nursing school. She had mostly kept to herself during high school, but now that she was out on her own, she blossomed. She was popular and well-liked by her classmates. Men began to notice her good looks, and Alexandra started dating, although she never had a serious relationship. A poem about Alexandra in her nursing school yearbook read, Grand little nurse she's going to be, for she is our queen, you see. They must have meant it because in the spring of 1960, Alexandra's fellow nursing students picked her to represent their class for a local beauty contest. And so, on March 5th, 1960, Alexandra Wacherek took the stage at the Yorkton Figure Skating Club's annual carnival in front of 2,500 people. Judges, have you made your choice? Okay, let's see here. And this year's queen of the Kinet Ice Skating Carnival is... Our very own Alexandra Wachera! Oh, wow! Thank you, everyone! I'm honored to present Miss Wacherek with this lovely bouquet of flowers and $50 in prize money. Thanks so much. You all are so lovely. Every girl here should have won. That's our 1960 queen. Beautiful and humble. (laughs) What do you say, everybody? The 20-year-old went back to the dorm that Saturday night with a pocket full of prize money and her crown. But that was just the beginning. Alexandra went on to win first as Yorkton Wheat Queen and then runner-up in the Saskatchewan Wheat Queen competition later that year. 
The first Miss America Bathing Beauties pageant took place in 1921. By the 1950s and early 60s, the beauty pageant craze had spread across North America. They may have been popular, but the contests were sexist and frequently racist, with top prizes almost always going to white women. During a 1968 rally against the Miss America pageant, protesters wrote that real power to control our lives is restricted to men, while women get patronizing pseudo-power, an ermine clock and a bunch of flowers. Men are judged by their actions, women by appearance. But to a young Alexandra Wacherek in the early 60s, the pageants were likely a path towards personal empowerment, however flawed. Alexandra grew up in a small, sheltered world. The beauty pageants brought her a level of local fame and opportunity that she would struggle to find otherwise. And they could only help her land a stewardess job. Alexandra started appearing in local newspapers for her pageant wins. And in early 1961, her family's church published an article praising Alexandra as a successful young member of the Ukrainian community. She was also becoming an excellent nurse. Alexandra graduated later that year and was almost immediately offered a full-time job at the Saskatoon City Hospital. That meant moving back to her old city and her older sister Marie. When Alexandra lived with Marie as a teenager in high school, her sister kept her on a short leash. But now that Alexandra was grown up, Marie had a very different plan. In the spring of 1961, Marie secretly entered Alexandra into a local radio station's beauty contest to promote an upcoming Johnny Cash concert. What is it, Marie? You're not going to believe it if I tell you. Me and the girls heard about this big beauty contest, so I thought, who do we know who could win? And since you're moving back to Saskatoon, well... You entered me without even telling me? What contest? We never thought you'd actually win. Sorry, but, you know, it seemed like such a long shot. What contest is it, Marie? Hang on, hang on. Let me find the station. Again, Alexander Wacherek has been named the official girl in Saskatoon. When Johnny Cash plays the arena next week, Miss Wacherek will be up there close and personal with Cash himself. And for those of you who don't yet have tickets, we are giving... I don't believe it. Well, you better believe you're taking me with you. Back in December, Johnny Cash had released a song called Girl in Saskatoon. And now, thanks to Marie, Alexander would be on stage with him as his official Saskatoon girl. Cash had been a star in the United States since I Walk the Line, hit the top of Billboard's country charts in 1956. He toured the U.S. for years. But in the late 1950s, Cash finally started expanding his tours into Canada, That's how Alexandra Wacherek found herself at a concert hall, face-to-face with the man in black. On April 3, 1961, just a few weeks before her 22nd birthday, Alexandra Wacherek headed to the concert arena where she would be named The Girl in Saskatoon. But when the show was supposed to start, Cash wasn't there. It turned out that Cash's plane had made an emergency landing at Swift Current Airport, nearly three hours away, and now he was racing by car to make it to the venue in time. 
Some of Cash's other band members beat him to the show, including rockabilly musician Bob Lumen and fiddle player Rose Maddox. They did their best to entertain the audience while Alexandra and the rest of Cash's 1,500-person crowd waited for the musician to finally make it to the stage. But Cash didn't arrive until four hours after the concert was supposed to start. By that time, it was too late for him to play his usual show. He wound up playing a short 15-minute set, but it turned out that 15 minutes was all Alexandra Wicherek needed. Whoa there, okay. I wrote this next song a little bit ago, about this city right here. But before we get into it, I'd like to introduce you to a special someone waiting right off stage. Alexandra Wicherek. Will you come on up here, Alex? Hi there, Johnny. Or Mr. Cash. Hey, Johnny's just fine. Howdy, everyone. I've come a long way to be here. And... I've come a long way, too. But it feels good to finally make it. <laughs> yes, yes, it does. Well, this next one's called Girl in Saskatoon. This here's the girl, and you're all Saskatoon. Ready, boys? One, two. A photo from the concert shows Alexandra Wicherik and Johnny Cash arm-in-arm backstage. Both of them have huge smiles on their faces. Everything was looking up for Alexandra. She had been in three beauty pageants, met a country star, and found a full-time position at the hospital. It was a big moment in Alexandra Wicherik's young life. But sadly, it would be one of her last. Coming up, we'll dive into Alexandra's disappearance and the massive manhunt to find her. Now, back to the story. In 1961, 22-year-old Alexandra Wicherik had a brand new full-time job as a nurse at Saskatoon City Hospital. But she still wanted more independence. She was tired of living with her family or under the strict rules of the dormitories. So she found a room in a small basement apartment shared with three other young nurses. There you are, Alex. Come on in and check out the place. Thank you. It's lovely. Your room, if you want it, I guess, would be down there. It's a little small, but, well, the whole place is a little small. No, no, it's cozy. Cozy is right. Here's the kitchen, and this way is the den. I guess I should tell you that it doesn't get much light. That's just fine with me. It'll help me actually get some sleep after an all-night shift. I mean, it's the basement, so what should we have expected? But I understand if it isn't what you're looking for, I mean... Oh, stop it. This isn't the dorms, right? Right. And there isn't a 10 p.m. curfew, right? Right. Then it's perfect. The apartment may not have been much, but it was hard to beat the location. Alexandra and her nursing school friends lived in Saskatoon's North Park neighborhood, only a quick walk to the hospital. If Alexandra headed a few blocks west, she would run into the tranquil gardens of Woodlawn Cemetery. Ten minutes in the other direction would bring her to the banks of the South Saskatchewan River. Statistically speaking, Saskatoon was a very safe city. Crime rates were low, and homicide rates were even lower. During the course of Alexandra's life, there had been fewer than 10 murders in the entire area. 
She likely didn't worry for her safety at all when she would walk down to the river and sit by the water's edge. Alexandra's new job at the city hospital wasn't exactly easy. Alexandra worked long hours and frequently had to pull all-nighters when she got stuck with the graveyard shift. And while Alexandra was close with her roommates, she allegedly didn't get along quite so well with all of her co-workers. According to Alexandra's mother, Alexandra had a run-in with a fellow nurse during her first few months on the job. What are you doing in here? Mind your own business, Alexandra. I'm just running an errand for Dr. Connors. Are you stealing those pills? Fine, Alex. Maybe they're not for Connors. But you better not go telling anyone, all right? It's our duty to... It's our duty as nurses to look out for each other. And if you don't look out for me on this one, maybe I won't look out for you either. What's that supposed to mean? Just keep this between us, okay? Alexandra apparently did turn the nurse in. But it's unclear if the woman ever followed through on her promise of revenge. That small moment aside, Alexandra easily handled the responsibilities and grueling hours of City Hospital. By the time she celebrated her 23rd birthday in April of 1962, it seemed like Alexandra had settled comfortably into the new role. But it wasn't going to last. One evening in the spring of 1962, Alexandra decided to drop by her parents' new house for a visit. With all of their children gone, Alexandra's aging parents had finally sold the family farm in Endeavor. They moved to a new plot of land outside of Saskatoon, where Alexandra could stop by whenever she had time off from City Hospital. That particular night, Alexandra had a date. She'd started dating a little after high school and likely received even more attention from men once she became a local celebrity. But these relationships were strictly casual. She tended to take her work more seriously than romance. Alexandra's date arrived later that night to pick her up from her parents' house. Alexander and Anna walked their daughter out to the waiting car. Thanks for coming to visit, Alexandra. Oh, it's been a long time since we've been able to live in the same area together. This is going to be nice. It will. Well, good night. I love you both. Wait, Alexandra. When will we see you again? Oh, who knows? Maybe soon? Maybe never! <laughs> that was the last time that Anna Wicherick would ever see her daughter alive. Friday, May 18th, 1962, was a warm day with temperatures going up into the 70s and Alexandra wanted to get out of the city. That upcoming Monday was the Canadian holiday of Victoria Day and the unofficial start of summer. Most people in Saskatoon were getting ready to enjoy a three-day weekend. Alexandra's older sister Marie had a vacation home on Emma Lake, a few hours north of Saskatoon, near Prince Albert National Park. Alexandra would have spent the weekend up there if she had the choice. But she didn't. She was scheduled to work the graveyard on Friday night, meaning she had to be at work at 11.30 p.m. and wouldn't be home until well into Saturday morning. So instead of heading up to Emma Lake or accepting a date with any of the men who had reportedly asked her out that night, Alexandra spent her Friday evening biding time before the long shift ahead of her. She borrowed a blouse from a roommate and got dressed up in green pants and a matching green sweater. 
It was a particularly fancy outfit for such a short errand, especially since she had to be at work in just a few hours, but she left the house that evening to buy stamps at a nearby drugstore, looking her best. Alexandra may have been planning to meet someone before work, or just wanted to be in an outfit that felt good before she had to spend the night in her nurse's uniform. Whatever the reason, Alexandra decided not to go back home immediately after posting her letters. Instead, she headed down to the South Saskatchewan River between 8 and 9 p.m. A young fisherman casting his line into the water saw Alexandra sitting in her green outfit around 9 p.m. By then, it was likely time for her to head back and start getting ready for her nursing shift. But Alexandra never made it home that night. Have you seen Nurse Wacherik? She was supposed to be in at 11.30. Alexandra isn't in yet? That's strange. When she shows up, send her to my office. She can't be late like this again. If she's not here yet, she must be sick or something. Maybe she's at home. We already tried there. Her roommates haven't seen her. Are you sure? Of course I'm sure. I called them myself. And when she comes in, my office, remember? Yeah, right. Right. Now get back to work. Alexandra's three roommates reported her disappearance to the police on Saturday morning. They knew that she wouldn't have skipped work and not come home unless something had happened to her. 23-year-old Alexandra Wicherik officially became a missing person on Monday, May 21, 1962. By Wednesday, police were combing the banks of the South Saskatchewan River for any signs of her. But even with the help of a search dog, the police found nothing of substance. Alexandra Wacherak had vanished. Police likely assumed the young woman had just run away from her responsibilities. At the time, 300 people reportedly went missing in Canada each week. But the vast majority of them eventually turned up. When Alexandra didn't reappear by the following Monday... Saskatoon police dragged the river, presumably thinking she had drowned. But again, their search turned up nothing. It was a couple of children who were finally able to do what the police couldn't. Around the same time that the police boats were scanning the river, two kids were exploring the bank while their uncle fished nearby. That's where they discovered what looked like a hand reaching up out of the ground. They told their uncle, but it wasn't until they were back at the same spot a few days later that he finally listened to the children's story. He followed them back to where they'd found the hand. Hank, run for a phone, quick. Call the police. Call everyone. But the fishing poles. I think I felt... Never mind the poles. What is it? A hand reaching up straight out of the sand. A girl's hand. Somebody buried a body out here. Oh, oh my, I... Hank, the phone. Get to a phone. On May 31st, 1962, Alexandra Wicherik's body was finally found near the bank of the South Saskatchewan River. The woman had been missing for almost two weeks. The 23-year-old had been beaten and her nose was broken. She was naked from the waist down and had been raped before she died. Her skull was fractured from a blow to her head that had likely knocked her unconscious, but hadn't killed her. Alexandra's killer placed her in a shallow grave on the riverbank, 
and dropped a heavy piece of concrete on her chest. An autopsy found sand in her windpipe, and her official cause of death was ruled as asphyxiation. She died from being buried alive. Alexandra Wacherek's horrifying death captured the attention of the nation. Violent acts may have happened before, but always far away from Saskatoon. Her murder was so shocking, it shattered the safe, idyllic vision of the city. The pressure was on to find Alexandra's murderer and bring them to justice as fast as possible. But police didn't have anything close to a suspect, and they didn't even know where to start looking. Thanks again for tuning in to Unsolved Murders. We'll be back next Tuesday with part two of Alexander Wacherek's murder. We'll see the investigation into her murder and how her family refused to give up after police failed to find her killer. For more information on Alexander Wacherek, we found The Girl in Saskatoon, a meditation on friendship, memory, and murder by Sharon Batala, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Unsolved Murders, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Unsolved Murders on Spotify, just open the app and type Unsolved Murders in the search bar. We'll see you next time. Yeah, if we live till next time. Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Michael Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Isabella Way. This episode of Unsolved Murders was written by River Donahay, with writing assistance by Abigail Cannon. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Tom Bauer, Bill Butts, Tiana Camacho, Kai Jordan, Rebecca Thomas, and Jen Wong. It stars Wendy McKenzie and Carter Roy. <laughs>